Hi, everybody. It's Cheryl. And in this episode, we talk with Tram, who came to the U.S. as a refugee from Vietnam at three years old, about her professional transitions. Tram was an editor at Color Lines, one of the first print magazines that focused on communities of color. She authored a book called We Are All Suspects Now Post 9-11 and is currently working in public health policy. Tram shares how her activism work covering racial justice issues and promoting health equity has shaped her thoughts about raising her mixed race child who is of Vietnamese, Black, and Mexican-American descent. She is especially proud of her son's process of exploring the many sides of his identity at such a young age. We also think her Asian mom's superpower of graceful fierceness shines through when speaking about the strength she has gained from motherhood. Throughout our conversation, all of us connect about experiencing Oakland moments. You know, those moments that typify what it means to live here. Whether it's meeting a stranger who you feel like you've known forever, or randomly meeting a famous person's cousin during the workday. We realize that as big as Oakland may be, there is something very intimate about our town and the people who we call our neighbors. Tram describes it beautifully when she says, Oakland is a place where kindred spirits meet. So to all our fellow Oaklanders out there, past and present, we are proud to call you family. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to this episode and a reminder to please tell your friends about the Oakland Asian Mom podcast and review us on Apple Podcasts. are listening to the Oakland Asian Mom Podcast. Welcome everybody to the next episode of Oakland Asian Mom. And tonight is our guest. Her name is Tram. And um, I thought about inviting Tram to be a guest on our show because of her work in public health. And I also just super curious about her background um, and to get to little get to know a little bit more about her. Uh, so, Tram, welcome to the show. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, before we start, we were wondering if you could share a little bit about your ethnic and cultural roots and how you would describe your partner and kid in terms of race and identity. And you could also add, you know, where you grew up and what places have you called home? Sure. Um, and uh First, I just wanted to say how, uh, yeah, I love this topic. I love the focus on, um, you know, my uh, being a mom and being Asian and and my roots and my family, uh, because it's it's such a big part of, you know, the family that I'm trying to create. Um, So my background is um, I was born in Vietnam. I came here as a refugee as a a three-year-old and grew up uh, actually as a refugee. We moved a lot. So. Um, as a kid, I, I grew up in the Midwest and, and Texas for a little bit, and then we came to Southern California. Um, and then uh, I ended up in Oakland about, well, it's been 20 years ago now, I think. Um, yeah. And my partner, my, uh, my spouse is um, African-American and Mexican-American is his family background. So um, we are quite the, the Oakland family. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You know, Sarah just asked me this question before we started our recording, like, how did you guys meet? Okay, well, 
I feel like it's a very Oakland thing. So it's very sweet, actually, Tram, whenever I think of you, it brings me back to a very sweet time because we had just moved into uh, our first apartment. Oh. Yeah, uh in the Laurel District on top of this abandoned, (laughs) abandoned, like, storefront Mm -hmm. um, on MacArthur Boulevard. And it was our first year in marriage, our first apartment. And we were there, like, just a year and a half. But at that time... I was pregnant and I gave birth to our first kid. So whenever we drive by, that's our apartment, wave hi, you know? And I always like look and I think of Tram because uh, she was our floor mate, right? Mm. And so when we met each other, even though we didn't know each other, I think it was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I've known you forever for some reason, right? And I always feel like that's a very Oakland thing that you meet someone and instantly you're like, do we know each other from from, <laughs> from from a different season in our life, you know, or we end up meeting or knowing the same circle of friends, which makes it feel like, uh, like we have this already a uh, camaraderie or something. Yeah. Oh, so you yeah. were neighbors. Oh, we were yeah. neighbors. Um, yeah. And so um, you said uh, you've been living in Oakland for a while, Tram. Um, what brought you here? Um, and what do you love most about living in our town? Uh, so what brought me here was in 2000, I think, um, towards the end of 2000, and I uh, I got a job at um, Color Lines Magazine, which uh, was based in Oakland. It still is, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, um, and, and kind of in a random way. But um, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Jeff Chang. He was one of the founders oh, of the magazine. Okay. Yeah, that's right. And he was yeah. leaving, and then through um, I I had you know graduated from UCLA in the same kind of Asian American studies program that he had been in. And so we had some mutual connections. Mm-hmm. And when he left, it created a, you know, a spot. And so uh, by a lot of random luck, because I was really young and not qualified, but I got the job and I moved here. Um, and uh, so that, you know, I've been here ever since. Um, and what I love about it actually kind of answers the question that um, Sarah might have had about how I met my partner. Um, you can just, you know, I feel like, like, great things happen really randomly um, to mm-hmm. me here. And I, so I met my, my partner at, I don't know if you guys remember the Lucky Lounge. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I used to go there a lot right, with my girlfriends for drinks. It's called, <laughs> officially called Kingsman <laughs> Lucky Lounge. Right. <laughs> yes, you remember the old school version. That's right. <laughs> something else now. But, um, yeah, so I had a friend, another friend who DJed there. And one night, you know, I went after a class I was taking. Um, I was taking an improv acting class, very random. And so we met there for drinks and I met, you know, I met my partner um, just very randomly, you know. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> so we always laugh about that because that was how we are. We're totally different worlds, but, you know, that's okay. how. Well, out. maybe I did meet you at Kingsman Lounge because at Lucky Lounge, because I used to go there a lot. <laughs> and when Jerry Brown used to go to, and he would always bring his dog do you remember? It's like random, right? Oh my gosh. I never saw Jerry Brown. I didn't know him. Yeah. Yeah. Hilarious. He would bring his dog. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, but the, what the three of us have in common is that we found love in Oakland because that's yeah. all of us uh-huh. found our partners and probably, you know, we all still live in Oakland. So yeah, Oakland Crazy has given place. us that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, um, you know, you touched a little bit upon it, working for Color Lines. And when I found that out, I was like, oh, my God, I loved Color Lines. I felt like it was the only kind of progressive 
print magazine before mm-hmm. we even had the internet out there. And so, you know, you were an editor and a writer there. What were your some of your most mo- memorable experiences? Um, yeah, I had such like it was one of the best times you know my life. Um, just learning so much and um, you know getting to travel. So uh, yeah, some of the great experiences I feel like I got you know all those years I was there about I think eight years total, almost almost eight years. Um, you know, and I was single. I was you know uh, childless um, and. I just threw myself into this, you know, like dream that I always had, right, of writing and traveling and reporting on, you know, I got to meet um, so many great organizers, um, because we, you know, that was our mission was to cover social justice and racial justice across the country. So, I would, you know, get to go all over and, and um, write about, you know, these uh, amazing, this amazing work that various communities were doing. Um, and I feel like I got a, so much of that out of my, you know, blood during those years, through my 20s and early 30s that, um, you know, now my, my life is so lo- hyper-local, like I never yeah. travel and I don't miss it at all. But, um, you know, during that, those years, I just had amazing kind of, you know, hard and, and uh, wonderful, uh, amazing, um, you know, experiences traveling to different quarters of the country, mm-hmm. um, you know, telling people stories, writing about them, um, Yes, I remember all of that really fondly. Is there uh, a certain interview that you did uh, during your stays, your stint there that kind of you always remember or kind of always, uh, you know, kind of speaks to you? Is there one that was like unforgettable in your mind? Oh, God, so many. But one I think about a lot recently is, uh, so, you know, one of the things I did, which I was traveling a lot for, was um, after 9-11, which happened right, like right around, to, you know, early in my, my mm-hmm, time at mm-hmm. Colorlands, like a year in. So uh, we started reporting on, you know, the impacts on the backlash on um, immigrants um, around the country. And so that was why I was traveling to New York, traveling to you know, the border and um, and collecting, you know, these stories that ended up being a book um, mm-hmm, called uh, mm-hmm. We Are All Suspects Now. And um, one story really, I mean, one person in particular um, that I featured in the book, and I interviewed her along, you know, over a bunch of times, but her name's Arti Shahani. And, um, uh, you know, very interestingly, randomly now, she has a podcast, too. Mm. Um, yeah, so she's, you know, she started out as an immigrant activist. And so I was, you know, featuring her, you know, her story um about detention and you know her her dad being um detained and and um her fighting for you know for his rights as a south asian immigrant and eventually she wrote her own book about you know about his story mm-hmm. she i feel like we almost switched because you know i was a journalist at the time she was an activist and then she switched careers and became a journalist and um yeah so i think about her a lot we haven't kept in touch but um but she really stands out in my mind her podcast is about like i think it's about being powerful, what, you know, what makes, where does power come from? Personal power, political power. So, wow. yeah. Yeah. Well, we just had Russell Jung, uh, who works on the AAPI hate, stop hate, um, you know, oh. and it's interesting how, you know, 20 years ago, you were doing some of the similar work as him, collecting stories of people affected uh, by the, you know, the, the hate crime against them. Um yeah. Well, you mentioned that your life was very local now. When did you know you wanted to make a pivot going into public health? Because that's how we re- we, con- we reconnected 
Um, we both work for, uh, you know, county government. Yeah. When did you know you wanted to make that pivot? So about like, yeah, seven or eight years into Color Lines, I, uh, I was lucky enough, you know, like really privileged to have a sabbatical um, after a certain mm-hmm. amount of time um, at Color Lines. And, um, and I got a three month break, you know, um, to travel a little bit um, and, um, and do some, you know, try to do some creative writing and just uh, reflecting and uh, self-care and all of that. And then I think after that, I really, um, I mean, I, I think it, it, you know, was just a growing need of mine to be more um, like embedded in solutions and being part of mm-hmm. working on solutions. And I just had started to feel more and more, you know, like, um, like I had done a lot of the same, you know, stories, right. And, um, and that I think, you know, I knew how to, to tell a story in that way. I miss it now. I feel, you know, like in a way I, I, I'm a little bit, um, envious of people that like can stick to that craft and really you know keep going and keep going um but I think I felt like I wanted to you know I didn't know enough about you know uh, you finish one story you move on right to the next and um and I wanted to be part of like you know just um really knowing a lot of you know about the issue and working on it right and and uh and just being part of you know of um of the solution and so I, I think that's where it began. It wasn't super clear in my mind, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, so that's when I, I, I forget how I decided on policy school as my, my avenue, but somehow I, you know, I found my way to find a UC Berkeley for the policy school. And uh, I had just started there in like 2010. Um, and I moved into, you know, our apartment mm-hmm. um, and, um, and so when I finished policy school, um, I didn't know about public health. I was actually really interested in, um, in climate um, issues and environmental justice and um, was thinking about, you know, like trying to, I was interning with state, like government, um, state agencies and so on. And um, I didn't know about public health, but it was sort of through another kind of lucky, you know, um, break, a random break, um, where a, actually a former color lines um, colleague was at the public health department and um, there was um, a contracting opportunity, a consulting opportunity to write about one of their initiatives. So she reached out to me. So I ended up, you know, actually as a writing um, about, you know, some of the work that the health department was doing. Mm-hmm. And um, that was how I kind of connected to them. And, um, and then, you know, eventually got hired into um, our policy program, um, which is been where I've been all this this time nine years now wow wow you're how many more years do you want to be there this is the the (laughs) the question the golden question right you're vested sounds like (laughs) it's like yeah Cheryl knows it's the golden handcuffs yes or the silver handcuffs (laughs) (laughs) yeah well what is your primary role you you said you work in policy um you know, what's your primary role there and what do you enjoy most? And then what are some of the challenges? So we have this um, initiative called the Health Equity Policy and Planning Unit um, that uh, that's what drew me to join the department, you know, being able to work on, on equity. Right. So it's it's basically like doing, you know, tackling racial justice, social justice issues, but from a health you know framework and um, a health lens. And um, so, you know, I. Uh, for the past like eight years now, seven years now, I've been working on housing um, mm-hmm. and other, you know, determinant, social determinants of health. 
yeah, a lot of our, you know, work has been sort of about supporting um, communities, um, organizers uh, to, you know, um, uh, yeah, to kind of how do we bring, you know, how do we help add, you know, uh, data framing, um, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, bringing on kind of additional, you know, support um, to look at um, uh, social injustices from, you know, from the impact on health, community health. Um, and it's just been like super rewarding. I feel like there's so much, you know, levels of meaning in for in it for me, um, both from like kind of the you know the the community level, populational level, kind of health disparities. But um, I find like the older I get, too, health just has such a you know deep like significance for me mm-hmm. on many levels. Thinking about my family's history, you know. Um, uh, just yeah what how, what ways did you know did our um, both both my partner and I you know our families how like we've experienced health and what I see you know elders in our family right or um, you know the things you see right um, like um, you know alcoholism there was in, mm-hmm. in, you know, in my uncles who died young um, mm. or you know like yeah just so many things that I feel like you know we talk about at a at sort of a theoretical level Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes and you know in our professional work but I think as as families you know immigrant families uh, families of color there's a lot of that personally in our families yeah. where you see you know the real personal impacts of what we talk about like lives that are shortened right or mm-hmm. sicker you know shorter lives and I, I can see so many examples of that in you know um, both our families so it, it means so much to me and I think like that's what draws me to kind of continue to find energy you know in the work we, I do hear things like, oh, you know, uh, men, men of color don't like to go to their doctors, even though, um, you know, they may be at risk or high risk for diabetes or high cholesterol or, high, you know, high blood pressure. There's so much either pride or stigma or fear of what it means to go see uh, your physician. Or just go to the hospital, you know? How many times have I've heard friends of mine uh, say, oh, you know, my my dad or my mom are so hard-headed, you know, very stubborn, and they don't want to go see their doctor. And it's so sad because we know their health is, like you said, so important. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just thinking of my mom, there's so much, you know, sort of like um, generational trauma and, um, mm. you know, and trauma from from her experiences of, she was born during um, wartime. And, uh, you know, there's just a lot that I, and I don't, I think instead of, you know, being able to express or grieve or deal with that, she, you know, she suppresses a lot of it. And then you see it as, you know, health problems, right? Like, um, yeah. Yeah. Tram, I'm curious, your professional journey has really been focused on you know, social justice and equity. And I'm wondering if there was something in your childhood or your growing up experience that sort of pointed you toward that direction that you would, would could share with us. Hmm. Um, I guess I would say like maybe, you know, our whole growing up as a refugee and then growing up, you know, um, yeah, poor, um, Asian, you know, in a white, predominantly kind of white rural part of the Midwest right. in Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then moving, you know, to, to LA, 
um, I feel like all of those experiences just, you know, made me feel like a, I have three sisters too. So we were very much, you know, felt like outsiders. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I, for, so for me, I, I, I always identified, you know, with underdogs and you know, gravitated to, to underdogs. Um, uh, didn't have a lot of, you know, extracurricular. No, we were just talking about this because, you know, now I'm like trying to come up with all these summer activities for my son. And I was like, what did we do during the summer? We did nothing. We read a lot and we, you know, we had a very rich imaginative life. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that the good thing to be said for that was I feel like a lot of, a lot of my, um, yeah, I think a lot of my kind of, um, you know, social change kind of um, uh, will and, and, and drive comes from that childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, me and you, Trev, reconnected at um, a COVID uh, vaccination clinic, you know, a couple of, a couple of months ago. Um, and I was just a volunteer. I just showed up and did my duty, but Tram was the one pretty much leading this effort. So I know that you were uh, leading this effort, especially when there were tears of who can get, you know, when it was, it seemed like, oh, we couldn't get enough appointments for everybody that needed the vaccination. Um, So thank you for that. Thank you for your service, I want to say. And, you know, I don't, the the county's not running these clinics um, as often. So you get a little bit of reprieve. It's, I don't know if you had time to reflect about the experience because we're really still in it, you know? Um, what was it like or what, what would you like to share about leading that initiative? And, you know, what were some of the biggest challenges um, or joyful moments, if there were any? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were both, a lot of both. And um, I would say, you know, it's one of the most um, memorable and I think one of the most important things I've been able to be part of um, wow. mm-hmm. uh, in my time at the health department, and it's it's only been from like February was when we you know launched our our first um, the one you, you came to at Fremont. High yeah, School. yeah. Um, and now, so it feels like so you know so long ago, but it's only been this year. Um, and but so intense, right? And so many changes. Um, and so you know, in the beginning, um, like I remember. Uh, just having, you know, like a thousand people a day, you know, coming at us right through the clinics, through Fremont High School. Um, and just having to like, you know, fire in all cylinders, like it was, you know, um, customer service, community organizing, you know, designing um, processes, learning about, you know, vaccines, um, just everything you can imagine. Running a small business, it felt like, you know, like producing flyers, getting, you know, uh, making sure um, people had the right information, the, the right hours, right, to come. Mm-hmm. And um, and some of it was really, I mean, I, it was so hard um, those first few months. I remember, you know, I mean, we would, um, we would run the clinics every, you know, three days, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, and we'd, you know, we'd be there like at 6 a.m., right, to set mm-hmm. up because we'd have to open at 8 and train, you know, new volunteers. Um so that was another really hard thing was, you know, we'd have different um, volunteer staffing each day. Right? And so you'd be training new people. You saw me um, doing the trainings mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and having to kind of um, just, yeah, run everything off of, you know, felt like um, on the fly almost. 
yeah so it was so hard to have you know like people sometimes really show their worst so you know I remember I feel feel like I saw the worst at times of people you know who were trying to get ahead in line right or um, mm-hmm. you know they're like trying to um, to you know uh, take resources that we were trying to prioritize for mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. most, you know, underserved. Uh, so we were trying to, um, to get those vaccines to essential workers in the lowest yeah. you know, um, income neighborhoods um, and who had the least access. And we would be bombarded with, you know, more privileged people who couldn't get the vaccine elsewhere, right. And wanted to, you know, to get it more conveniently um, and didn't want to wait. Right. So it was just like, so, hard to to confront that every day um and then you know on the plus on the kind of the the um the the great side though I just remember so many you know um yeah how 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 important it felt to be you know like people would come and um and you really felt like you were you know helping to save lives right like that Mm -hmm. was that you know that's unforgettable um and then you know other like random things too like um um, I remember, you know, just chatting to people online. And one day I, fa- I, I found out that a man, you know, we were vaccinating was Medgar Evers' cousin. Right? And he lived mm-hmm. in, um, in the Fruitvale, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I was just checking his name. I was like, oh, Evers, you know, Medgar Evers. He's like, that's my cousin. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So just like little moments like that, that were, are so wonderful. I feel like they're kind of Oakland moments as well. It's yeah. such a small place, but it's such a big, you know, like, history is always like around us I feel like I have a I have a funny Oakland moment like that where in my prior job I had someone I had a client with the last name Burrell and Mm. I was like oh Stanley Burrell that you know MC Hammer that's his his um, real name and he was like oh that's my cousin (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's cool. (laughs) I am just um, pretty impressed that you know MC Hammer's uh, real name. I I don't know. I okay. Now I feel like I need to Google it just to make sure, but I'm pretty sure it's Stanley Burrell. No, it sounds right. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I think so. So Something a little bit more like like straight laced than (laughs) you might expect MC Hammer having. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, cool. Um. Well, I'm going to pass it on to Sarah and we're going to just maybe kind of segue into hearing more about um, your parenting and what what's that like these life like these days. Yeah. Oh, just confirming that his name is Stanley Burrell. I just Googled it. So, Tram, you mentioned that you're raising a multiracial child and we just wanted to, you know, Cheryl's children are multi-ethnic. My kids are multiracial. And um, yeah, we just wanted to hear about some reflections that you have on on raising your child um, in, a, in an intentional way as a multiracial child. Um, are there things that have been, um, you know, I, I think we like to talk about like joys and struggles because I think life has a lot of both of those aspects. But um, yeah, we'd love to hear uh, just a little bit about your journey. Yeah, um, I feel like I'm still, you know, muddling through and, and uh, figuring it out mm-hmm. in, in the thick of it. Um, 
And it's not as like, yeah, I think when I was pregnant and I was thinking, you know, it was a lot more like ambitious about all the things I was, you know, mm-hmm. the ways I was going to be, mm-hmm. you know, integrating you know, all this, you know, into, uh, diversity and, and awareness into his life. Um, and, and so that, you know, fell flat in some ways, like I was going to make him trilingual, right? And he, mm-hmm. you know, that fell by the wayside. Um, so in the beginning, I tried to like do a little, you know, speak to him in Vietnamese a little bit, speak to him in Spanish a little bit. Um, and none of that stuck. And then we just, you know, now he's, he, he knows a few words in Vietnamese, he forgot his Spanish from uh, preschool and, you know, day to day, because both my partner and I just speak English, and that became mm-hmm. easier to default to English. Yeah. Um, so that's been one of the struggles. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but I think like th- some of the other ways I feel like we, um, it, it's been a little more organic you know, than mm-hmm. I, I imagined, right? When you're like sort of trying to plan and, and you know, um, and uh, think ahead about a lot of these things, you know, in day-to-day life, I feel like it's more organic for us. Um, how, you know, racial identity or cultural um, experiences kind of end up, you know, um, and one of the things I'm super happy about is that my son, uh, you know, he, so he um, uh, physically looks very Asian, right? Like he, mm-hmm. you know, came out looking, I would say he's, um, I mean, it's hard to say exactly, but he doesn't <laughs> look, you know, quite Asian. He looks more like Pacific Islander. Maybe. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. Um, and are you uh, sure he doesn't look Filipino? Because I have yes, this joke. That everybody is gonna end up looking Filipino someday, like yeah. because there's so many biracial families, it's like might as well look Filipino. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's what all those you know mixes are like. Yeah, <laughs> you've got the European, you know, African, um, the Latin, and Asian, and they're you know he looks very <laughs> he could be Filipino, um, but you know he doesn't look typically African American mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was worried about that a little bit because, you know, just in that it'd be easy for, for and it, it, I think it'll be a challenge right, that, you know, um, uh, that either Black folks don't, ex, you know, sort of uh, see him as, mm. as African-American per se, right, or um, that he doesn't see himself. But one of the things so far is like he really, you know, it's so wonderful to me. He, he identifies as Black and mm-hmm. it's because he's, um, you know, so young too, but um, and it's so funny because he used to just be like, mom, mommy, you're, because he doesn't understand color. He's like, you're white and I'm black. <laughs> you know, because he thinks that my, my color is white. <laughs> um, but he thinks he's black. And um, it's because of, you know, he's so identified with his dad and mm-hmm. his cousin and, um, his, you know, his uncle. Um, so I'm super happy about that. And then, you know, I'm trying to work on the the Vietnamese Um family connection more too we go you know to see my family a lot and um uh yeah and I think like you know hopefully it'll be he still sometimes like has you know I think toggles between picking one or the other yeah I'm hoping that you know as he grows too it'll be sort of more seamless that he can you know travel between all his um his cultures Mm -hmm. and and identities just wondering like because your partner is um black and of black and Mexican descent, like has that helped in, you know, as someone who has also like had to incorporate different, um, you know, different sides of his um, families into himself, like has that helped in raising a multiracial child, having a partner that is also multiracial? 
Yeah, a little bit. I mean, um, one of our, you know, differences, which I think is complementary, is like, you know, I'm, I came at it a lot more sort of theoretical, especially mm-hmm. with my background and at Color Lines, like I was always like kind of approaching it in a very, you know, racial theories and, you know, textbook way. And, um, and you know, he's much more a lived experience, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, relationships, you know, all his friendships or his family. Um, so I think like it's a nice balance mm-hmm. because, um, and we've had, you know, like just sometimes clashes of our different approaches, but mm-hmm. overall over the years, I feel like, you know, we've, we've balanced uh, well in that way. Um, and, um, and him being, um, so, you know, he's raised by his mom, who's Mexican American and, um, and his mom um, is, you know, super uh, present, active in, in her grandkids' lives. She's here in Oakland. Um, and, um, you know, uh, yeah. So there's a very vibrant kind of like, um, uh, Mexican American, they're not, you know, they don't speak that Spanish so much. Um, it's their third generation, but mm-hmm. they're very much like, you know, let's say Mexican American. And I think my my um, my husband has that, you know, comfort with that growing up. And then um, he spent a lot of his adulthood, young, uh, you know, adulthood more like black identified, mm-hmm. um, and um, his peers, you know, more black identified, more black um, peers. So, um, so I think like he brings, you know, just a good comfort level and mix mm-hmm. of, you know, um, kind of lived experiences mm-hmm. in both cultures. Like he, he always jokes about, he used to be, um, you know, he, he's, he's had the kind of whole Cholo Southern California, you know, he had the whole, you know, look and everything. And then he, you know, <laughs> and, uh, um, and then, you know, he, now he's, he's, he, um, yeah, now he, I think he's presents more as a as a um a black male mm-hmm. uh, middle-aged black man <laughs> but um <laughs> so it's very fluid right and I I think you yeah. know it's sort of a model I feel like my son can have that you know level of uh, like you know different phases of his life like maybe one season he might you know mm-hmm. be more this or that mm-hmm. right yeah 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 I have the um you know my kids have the privilege of having f- all four of their grandparents in their lives you know, um, and so whenever my um, my parents and my husband's parents get together, the four grandparents, I sometimes always want to cry just because it's sort of special. I only grew up with like three grandparents. I, you know, one of them passed away very when my when my dad was a child. Um, so, and they always say to my kids, "Oh, you're so lucky you get to know uh, all your grandparents," and then a weird moment came into me. I was like, oh my gosh, my children and just like everybody else are a mix of these four people. If you, th- if you think of, I mean, they're a mix of me and my husband. It's like, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I sometimes mm-hmm. could feel like um, just the poignancy, if that's a word, mm-hmm. poignant. It's like such a poignant moment to, to realize um, the I'm all of them, you know? I thought it was really beautiful. Um, and to think of your family, of your your son's family tram of all the, you know, the the four sides, you know, your maternal and paternal side and your partner's maternal and paternal side mm-hmm. are just all in him, mm-hmm. you know, and how beautiful that is. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot about our ancestors. You know, and I, yeah. uh, when I pray or when I meditate, it's a lot of you know trying to connect to through my son, right? Thinking about like all the different the ancestors that came 
made him possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And how about your journey um, as a multiracial couple? Like, are there ways in which you have sort of um, learned from each other, shared each other's sort of like cultural backgrounds and histories? And um, just wondering um, what are some things that um, you've incorporated into your relationship that reflects, you know, who both of you are? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we we've, we've had to learn and stretch and you know grow a lot um and and some of it it's it's almost like um I feel like I've I've become more aware of um you know like you think um you don't have these kinds of you know stereotypical I don't know um biases or backgrounds um, and then you kind of see some of the dynamics so what I mean is like one example is um, you know when you fight right or your different sort of communication challenges as a couple Mm -hmm. and when so when we have um, uh, conflicts or disagreements you know my we've had to like learn that we have different really different you know styles right that are influenced by our cultural Mm -hmm. background our societal kind of shaping and sometimes like when he, you know, he can be, he'll be like super expressive or, you know, or be saying something. And I, you know, I've, um, over the years, like we've had big arguments about this and I'm like, why are you yelling at me? You know, or why are you like so mad? And he's like, I'm not mad. I'm just, you know, um, <laughs> emotional. Right. Or I'm just like, uh, and then, you know, uh, his gripe about me is that like, I'm not, you know, and to my chagrin, it's kind of stereotypical, but that I'm not, you know, that I don't express enough, mm-hmm. right? Or um, mm-hmm. so, I mean, I think it's like ways that we sort of, you know, um, maybe internalize like mm-hmm. some of the things that, you know, like I know I've internalized uh, dynamics from my parents, mm-hmm. um, you know, marriage or my mom, you know, and uh, so it's like working to kind of unpack those things now and right. grow. Yeah. Yeah. I remember like one of the first fights with my now husband, um, I was just sort of fighting the way I saw my parents fight and he was so like taken aback. Like, I think I like, I I yelled and he looked as though I had stabbed him. Like it was just, he was so, yeah. So (laughs) I was just like, oh, you know, like I thought this was how you fight, but yeah, I was sort of like learning, Mm. um, how to step back from that and figure out like what worked in terms of like figuring out our conflict in, in our context. But yeah, I'll never forget that. (laughs) He just looks so shocked. (laughs) Wow. My parents, um, they didn't fight in front of me. Mm, Yeah. Mm. Yeah. They took it, they took it to the room or something. Um, and so, um, I did not inherit that from my, from my parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, we, I don't fight too much in front of our kids, but we, we may, but the thing is, even though I don't think we're fighting, I like, we're not fighting, fighting this outwardly way. I feel like my kids know. Oh no yeah. I, yeah. I think, I I just think know. kids can pick up on tension mm-hmm. or like, you know, like yeah. a, you know, like a sigh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that yeah the side eye too yeah (laughs) they're smart um so tram what are some things um about parenting that you know we have like listeners who are already parents and some that um 
will be or some that, you know, are just like interested in, in others' parenting journey. So I'm curious, like, what are some things that you have um, really appreciated about being a parent and, and things that have been hard as well or unexpected? Well, I, I guess the one thing I, I feel like has changed so radically for me um like with my whole life since becoming a mom is I just feel like, you know, no matter what, I feel so much stronger, right? Like I, I, you know, Mm. I I just feel like the sense of like, I can never, you know, nothing will ever really sort of like prevent me from being there for my son. Mm. I feel like, and I don't know, it's, it's just this knowing, right. That like, you know, I could, yeah, whatever happens, I'll, I'll, you know, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to be, you know, nothing would sort of stop me from, from sort of doing my best for my son. And it's, it just gives me such a, I don't know, like a reassurance that I didn't have before, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that I feel like, Oh, it's so great to be a mom because I Mm -hmm. I feel this, this bedrock of confidence Mm -hmm. um, and groundedness, I guess, Mm -hmm. and happiness. Like, Oh, you know, whatever happens with my life, the best things already happened to me. You know what I mean? Very sweet. Yeah. 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 And then the challenges, there's so many, like I, yeah, especially these days, I am always, it's hard not to feel, you know, like guilty uh, about, you know, like if I've, you know, yeah, I mean, I struggle the most lately with not having energy for him because I'm mm-hmm. doing so much, you know, so then when he gets home, I'm like, uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to play with him, <laughs> you know, and he wants to play and then, or, you know, or if I snap at him and then like, impatient about something I feel terrible so those those things like yeah I think that's those are always challenging and it has to do with you know all the other demands on you so yeah um, yeah Yeah, working full-time and being a full-time mom it's 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 a lot yeah you know and then COVID COVID on top of all of that too so Yeah. yeah it is a lot it is a lot yeah. yeah, it's I don't know what are what are your kids' bedtimes? This is kind of random, but eight thirty ish. Okay, how about yours, Tramps? Oh, so good. Nine, if I'm lucky, like I get him okay. to sleep at nine. He's a, a night owl. Yeah, mine's mine's nine o'clock. Uh, although because they share the same room and they're like a foot away from each other, I don't think they get to bed until like nine thirty because. They're probably like whispering to each other yeah, at night, you know. Pillow talk, <laughs> yeah, pillow That's talk. Uh, but no matter what, they always wake up at like oh, six forty-five. I know. I like, like no matter how late, yeah. No matter how late, yeah. Like, yeah. By themselves, they wake up by themselves. But we're they're at this age where they could just go downstairs, um, and they're pretty good. They don't turn on the TV. They don't do any tablets. They just play or read. Uh, so kind of train them to do that. Um, but I'm, a, I'm, a, yeah, I, I, I need, to, I need my sleep. I, I told, uh, you know, on another episode, like, I think I've caught up on my sleep. Um, and <laughs> it does feel really good and you just never want to go back there again. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. The sleep deprivation in the early years is, uh-huh. it's tough. 
Yeah, yeah. that was so crazy. I remember I almost started a little fire because, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so sweet surprise. I was born, I was like boiling his bottles. Oh. Yeah, and then, yeah, I burned them to a crisp. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, the bottles itself? Yeah, they melted. The pot, like oh. smoke was going off and everything. <laughs> Wow, yeah. I know. When I'm um I multitask a lot and I'm always yeah. like these days I'm just like I can't do it as well as I used to. Like my mm -hmm. brain just forgets too much stuff. So yeah, like I've boiled water like until there's no water left <laughs> anymore. You know, just all all of these little things like that. So <laughs> I need to yeah. simplify. No, that's good. That just means you're um, adding humidity to your house. And that's <laughs> good for the skin. It's good for the skin, right? Well, um, our closing segment, we like to ask our guests a more of a lighthearted question. And uh, one of the questions tonight is, what is your Asian mom superpower, Tran? Um, yes, I love this question. And uh, I don't know if this is lighthearted, but I feel like Asian moms, and including myself, I, I think my superpower is like there's this um, kind of graceful fierceness that I feel like Asian moms oh. can have, you know, um, like just a real strength. And I, I mean, I would say fierceness. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, Tell know, me more. The moms that I've seen. Um, and uh, yeah, like I, I've been such a mama bear sometimes, you know, if I if I feel like my son is threatened or um, but it, but I and. But I think, you know, it, it can, um, I don't know, and maybe I'm stereotyping, but I feel like we uh, sometimes, you know, we carry it in a, in a way that's like maybe more um, where the grace comes in, maybe is that it's not so, you know, in your face, right? Like I, mm -hmm. that, and my partner has learned that about me. He's like, you know, I'm definitely the, the you know, the strong one in the, in the, uh, in the household, in the family, but um, it's not so obvious, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you look at the two of us, you know. Um, but, uh, so yeah, I kind of feel like that's our superpower. It's not always, or my superpower, it's not always so obvious, but mm -hmm. there's a real kind of, you know, fierce love and strength that Asian moms have. Mm -hmm. I feel like I could be like that, even though I'm maybe like, I, I feel like I'm very expressive in private settings, but in public, I feel like I do a little bit more of that, um, like in formal settings, like at school maybe, or I don't know, at the grocery store or whatever, uh, I, I could have that grace, but still be like, uh-huh, and fierce at the same time, right? Yeah. I need yeah. to learn some of this. <laughs> I know, Sarah. Uh, my, she my says kid. her, her kids always like talk back or something or like yeah, my don't take you seriously. Like, no, yeah, no respect. No <laughs> see and i always be like are you sure because whenever i see them in public they're fine you they know what nice yeah they're actually pretty well behaved in public and that's all i can really ask for yes you know yeah. but in the house like yeah they they don't fear me at all <laughs> <laughs> well that's well i've heard that's because that's when they they, they feel they can let go right because yeah, they trust you and love you the most yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah that's what I usually say when I was doing therapy with parents, but I'm like, it's not really satisfying though. That, that <laughs> kind of like, oh, they feel so comfortable with you that they could just talk back and not do anything you say. Yeah. 
I'm like, really? Because in my immigrant household, we did not do that. Nope. <laughs> yeah. No what was it? Well, uh, I'm curious about kind of, um, you know, when you were a kid, did your mom, did, would you say your mom displayed that gentle fierceness? Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, and, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like as much as um, sort of that patriarchal, like my dad, you know, had a household thing. And mm -hmm. there's certainly a lot of that in our, you know, traditional sort of Vietnamese type of cultural things that, that they carried. But, um, you know, but she was like the the heart and the backbone of, you know, of the family, right? And, um, and yeah, like held us together, you know, sort of provide that, that mm -hmm. kind of, you know, sort of stability um, yeah yeah all the things that you know yeah so in a way I guess that's where as much as I um I think I've you know rebelled against or found fault with you know sort of my mom's yeah. kind of you know traditional not even feminism but a uh, womanhood her her kind of um Asian womanhood that mm -hmm, uh, you know mm -hmm. like I feel like so much of that was oppressive like what I saw my grandmother you know experience and and, you know, you don't want to be defined by that. But then I think the things that, you know, I did get defined by is that sort of, you know, like they, they were also super strong, right? And they yeah. survived, mm -hmm. they're survivors. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I, I should have asked this question, we were talking a little bit more about, um, you know, raising a biracial child, and you were mentioning, he really, uh, he's, he's been identifying as, uh, as black as your, your son. And so, I sort of wanted to ask you how how do you how, how does that strike you? Like I know you're very open and of course you uh I could I could just hear how you are respectful of even as young as 6 years old of his you know learning and kind of growing into all these different identities he does have that while all of us have, you know, but what's that like for you um as an Asian mom? Mm -hmm. Yeah, really interesting question um I mean because I think for me it you know it goes back to like sort of my um uh understanding of of um of race you know in America too and 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 I think how I understand you know um him as a a person with black ancestry right in in America yeah. um and holding you know like also like um Asian, Vietnamese, um, and Mexican American, but you know he'll always be. Um, and I, I, and I think, just all my years of working at Color Lines and sort of being shaped by you know the Black Freedom Movement and um, and Black you know racial justice um, organizing, mm -hmm. I'm really proud that you know and and uh, and I would um, really like support and encourage him to. You know, mm -hmm. because that's not just how society might see him if he ever does look more, you know, physically black, but um, you know that because he has um, black ancestry, right? That he, you know, he's seen as black in America, and yeah. um, and I think you know he can be that, and and also you know be mm -hmm. Vietnamese mm -hmm. and um, and Mexican, right? But yeah. I think that's how my partner, um, you know, carries it too. Like he's a black man, right? But he also you know, um, is Mexican when, you know, um, but in certain, yeah, he'll always be, um, 
black in in ways that you know like just yeah in the ways that he's been targeted right or the ways yeah that, yeah yeah that he you know kind of like um yeah is perceived and you know is treated in 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 America so I think it's both like a really painful legacy but I think like I'm a, a really proud and and wonderful one so I love that he you know he knows that early on and has yeah. you know, embraced it early on mm-hmm. 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 um well our last question for tonight is do you have a memorable quote quote Oakland moment um, we talked a little bit about them already throughout the episode, but is there one that sticks out in your mind? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. And then I, I remembered another one from when we lived in our little building. Yeah. Um, but, but a recent one was, um, so there was the moon festival, the mid autumn moon festival just, yeah. uh, this past weekend. Right. And, um, and I went, I took my son to, um, to the festival they had in Clinton park, which is in the San Antonio neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, and it's like also one of my little like, uh, um, you know, to do's that I've been trying to do more is, you know, like expose them to cultural activities. So um, so I wanted to take him there. And of course, at the festival, I, you know, run into all these like really um, amazing Asian moms. Right? And I was thinking about this because I was, you know, thinking about you guys' podcast coming up. And um, and I don't know if you know them, but you know um, Nikki Boss, Nikki Fortunato Boss, yeah, the president um, was a sponsor, and you know, and ended up coming, and um, and you know, some of the the organizers organizers of the festival, you know, were Vietnamese American um, women. Um, Nikki's chief of staff, you know, who's uh, Mia Saika Chen, who I know um, both actually both know both of them from from way back. And yeah, I was just thinking about like, just, um, you know, one, like how amazing these kind of, you know, these uh, Asian moms who do big things in the world and, you know, are mm-hmm. incredible moms too. And, um, and then Oakland, because it's, it was like, you know, such a small little festival, small little neighborhood, you know, you can kind of like pop up anywhere but you um you always run into people right like yeah that goes back to what we were just saying like we're always Mm -hmm. you know sort of meeting and running into interesting um and um uh kindred spirits in this in this place Mm -hmm. who are also like I think you know it's it's something about this town that I love you know about like we're so small but we have like an outsized impact in the world and I think like Mm -hmm. that's what I really love about Oakland with all its challenges and everything. But yeah, the one thing I, you know, I've like keep coming back to is, and I, I hope my son gets, you know, out of being here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To get to that experience where you really do feel like, you know, your neighbor, even though you don't like literally live next door to them, there is that sense. Yeah. I've, I've had a lot of those moments, even just recently I was picking up, uh, a friend of mine in front of our house and literally like two people, one was walking their dog and one was jogging with a friend crossed and both said, Hey Cheryl, what's up? <laughs> oh, Hey Cheryl, how are you? I was like, and then my friend's like, dig Cheryl, you'd be like knowing everybody. I'm like, this is not even my neighborhood. <laughs> and uh, so I got a little bit like, Oh my gosh, uh, especially in COVID we we're like, I just be lying to my car, you know, like I feel like my I'm already like, okay, just get your, your business done and go to your car because you're not gonna you're not supposed to be out and about. Um, 
it was overwhelming, but yet also very like, um, like, oh yeah, this is what Oakland life is like. If you're particularly if you're Asian and you work in the nonprofit field, right? Mm-hmm. It is a small circle where so and so's cousin. Maybe not MC Hammer's cousin, but, <laughs> but I used to work with this person, like the mm-hmm. two people you mentioned, I used to work with her husband, you know, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, you do run in and it does feel like you create this Oakland family, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that'll yeah. always be a part of your your story here. Yeah. It can feel like a small town sometimes. Yeah. 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 Even though yeah. It's, it's, you know, 400,000 people, but it can feel intimate. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you, Tram, for joining us and sharing all your stories. It's really lovely to get the update after, gosh, uh, 11 (laughs) years of of not seeing each other, but reuniting because we are part of this Oakland family, right? And this small Mm -hmm. town where I'm like, man, if I went to that uh, mid-autumn festival, you know, it would Mm -hmm. just be like a little reunion (laughs) Reunion. of people, you know, future, uh, you know, past and present that we all know. Yeah. So thank you, Tram. Thank you both. That was great. I really enjoyed it. Take care and don't forget to call your mom. <laughs>